Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. In 15 years, I've never had a player able to articulate with any accuracy what they're trying to achieve mentally on the pitch. Well, not good enough. I'm really sorry, but that's pathetic. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name's Coach Yas, a performance coach, content creator and founder of The Coaches Network. And today's episode is going to be part of our how-to series, where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests, break down some actionable how-to steps to help you reach your full potential. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of The Coaches Network, guys. My name's Coach Yas. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dan Abrahams. Dan Abrahams is a registered sports psychologist, as well as being a podcaster and a blogger, but more notably an author of four best-selling sports psychology books. Dan, I just want to introduce you to the show. Um, so welcome to the show today, Thank Dan. you, mate. Good to be on. And it's, you know, it's great to have you on as well. I just want to get straight into it. You know, I want to really get the listeners to understand a bit about what you do, where your journey started and how you've got to where you've got to. And then, you know, hopefully we'll go from there. So, yeah, you know, where, where did it all start for me? I know that you had a previous um, background as a golfer. Um, why don't you just tell us how, how that began and where you went? Sure there? thing, yeah. So, yeah, as you say, I, was, uh, I wasn't uh, a fresh professional footballer. I was uh, a professional golfer. I um, didn't, didn't quite work out with the golf. I wasn't quite good enough. Um, um, and I started coaching the game. I started coaching golf um, and spent many, well, golf being golf as a coach you're you're coaching sort of 40 
50 hours a week. Um, and oh. um, as I was coaching, I, I fell in love with the, the psychological side of uh, sport, golf and sports in general, um, and decided to go to university at the time and did my degree in psychology, my master's degree in sports psychology, and then really came to a crossroads. Do I carry on? Uh, doing the golf coaching um, and have my psycho- psychological qualifications on the side or do I go full on with sports psychology and become a, a registered sports psychologist so I chose the latter and that was about 15 years ago so I became a, a fully qualified registered sports psychologist here in the UK um, about 15 years ago uh, and since then um, I've I, I've worked in all sports. Um, I mean, I've been lead yeah. psychologist for England golf. I've been lead psychologist for England rugby, working alongside Eddie Jones for a little bit there. Um, but I've predominantly worked in football. Um, Fifteen years ago, I got started in non-league, just to learn the ropes, just to learn the, the language of the game and the specific challenges that players face. Um, I had the wonderful opportunity to work alongside uh, a coach called Wayne Burnett, who many of your listeners, I'm sure, will know that name. He's he was he's a great coach, um, and um, he's now the uh, Spurs under 23s coach. So he's worked with Tino, worked, yeah. worked with Mourinho now. So that was a great. So did you work with him back at Dagenham? Uh, no, I it? worked with him at before Dagenham, even before then. I worked with him uh, at Fisher okay. Athletic. Um, so we go. We are going back fifteen odd years. Uh, Dulwich Hamlet, F- Fisher Athletic, um, and that was amazing. It was a, it was a great experience because we had um, a whole bunch of young players. I think the average age was twenty one in a in a league where the average age is usually about twenty eight, and um, and that's that was the Blue Square South at the time, and um, it was uh, it, it was great. It was challenging. Um, as I said, I got to learn the language of the game, the specific challenges that players face. And I think we had seven of the players who went back up into league football after that season, um, largely because of the great coaching of Wayne. Um, and then really since then, uh, Yaz, it's been a, a, a snowball. Um, at that time, I got introduced to um, a guy called Carlton Cole. Um, and we started working uh-huh. together and um, 18 months into our, our work, he got called up by Fabio Capello uh, um, for England. And um, I started working with some of his teammates at West Ham there. And then I've, I've, I've worked at a number of clubs over the years. As you've mentioned, I've written uh, four sports site books, three, three of them football. Um, and I've had the pleasure and honour to, to really, to be quite frank, work having been able to work with some of the best players in the world, some of the best coaches. Um, oh. uh, and this past couple of seasons, I've been doing a day a week in the uh, medical department at AFC Bournemouth. Um, and I think that, that, that brings us to, to today. I have a, 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 my own podcast called the sports site show, um, yeah. which uh-huh. I believe is one of the, if not the most downloaded sports psychology podcast out there. And um, I also have an online academy, um, that uh, offers players, coaches and parents animated videos related to the mental side of the game, just helps them work together on the mental side of the game. So that's me, mate. Brilliant. And, you know, just, uh, just some, some great, great stuff there. And I do know a few things I want to kind of really touch on. You know, what was it uh, you touched there about, you know, you really fell in love with the psychic side of things when you were playing golf. What was it that really caught your attention on that? On that well, I think golf's a little bit different in the sporting world. I mean, it is a sport that for the last 50 years has accepted the uh, psychological side of the game. And so uh, golfers are very, very used to consulting, uh, to, to reading, uh, 
golf psychology books. I mean, if you went onto Amazon and put golf psychology in, you get reams and reams of pages. If you put football psychology in, it's it's my my books and a, and a few others. There's not many. So it's, oh. it's, it's a sport where maybe because of its pace uh, in individual sport, you combine those two. It's just that you're kind of socialized into psychology. Uh, so you read books as a golfer, you read books as a golf coach, um, no matter your level, no matter your standard. And, um, and professional golfers tend to see sports psychologists. Not all of them, but a lot of them do, or a lot of them have at least consulted at least a few times with a sports psych. So it's it's something. When I was fifteen, sixteen years old, I was I was reading um, uh, sports psychology, stroke golf psychology books. So it was just something that was naturally there for me. Um, but one of the things I noticed, certainly within the football community, was that there just wasn't really anything, any resources out there for players, mm. players to read. You know, um, I just think it's historically been done so wrong within football. The only thing education you seem to get uh, within football from a psychological perspective is uh, coaches on, on their badges. Um, and now at the uh, with the E Triple P, you know, uh, just just under a decade ago, um, coming mm-hmm. coming into play uh, in the academies, more stuff is is happening. Um, but it's still not something that a young footballer would necessarily grab hold of. Would necessarily go, right? Well, I really want to buy a football psychology or mental skills uh, so, uh, football mm-hmm. psychology book. So it's just something that I think we need just need to continue to push and to get better at. Definitely. And, you know, just I'm interested to fight. see, you, know, you talk about there not being any res- What maybe sparked your interest in actually looking at the football side of things? I mean, were you a football fan growing up? Well, I was, I was, I was a Spurs a, fan oh, growing up. So whether that constitutes being a right. football fan in the 90s when uh, right, okay. not insulting anybody who was, who was playing for Spurs in the 90s. But uh, yeah. no, I'm only joking. I, I was a Spurs fan and uh, I was very much a football fan growing up, um, as, as, as you as you tend to be being English. And... Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I really, you know, when I was a professional golfer, um, it's an interesting dynamic with sports psychology because sports psychologists, as I mentioned earlier, can work across every sport, you know, and, and you do. Oh. But, um, and, and, and you're not there to be an expert of a specific sport necessarily, yeah. but because players have enough of those people around them. However, your capacity as a practitioner may improve if you have a good knowledge of the game. And and that's where I said I wanted to learn the language and the specific challenges of football when I got involved. Because when I was a golfer, sometimes I'd listen to sports psychologists speak about golf and they'd use the language, terminologies, and they would come up with ideas and concepts that you sort of sat there and listened to it, scratch your head and think oh, do I trust you? Because it was so far removed. Their language and their ideas were so far removed from, from golf. It didn't feel uh, real, if that's, that's the term to use. So I, and maybe that's me being slightly closed-minded because I want to emphasise, I work in other sports. I worked in rugby, uh, with England rugby, and, but you don't know the language. You don't know the specific challenges. You don't know the nature of the sport other than to watch it on TV. And that can be a disadvantage. So getting into football, I really, really wanted to learn the language. and I really wanted to learn the specific challenges. Obviously, massively different in terms of the fact that obviously golf is a predominantly individual sport. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you can use some of the same interventions. You can use some of the same techniques. Um, golf is obviously self-paced to a degree, uh, is uh, individual, uh, is slow-paced. Um, and football is a team invasion sport, um, is uh, quick. Um, so there, there are a great deal of differences. I mean, there's an interesting dynamic where everybody sort of in football says to me, oh, golf, it's so psychological, you know, that's, um, but, you know, football is far more psychological than golf, far more psychological than golf. Um, for not for, for, for and, and that's a very nobody else on the planet ever says that. But I, I, having worked heavily in both, having been a professional and a coach in one, having spent thousands of hours by by the side of Premier League pitches, by the sides of grassroots pitches, I can I, I personally believe that's to be that's true. I mean, it's a team sport. You've got to be able to have interpersonal skills. You've got to be able to get along with others. Um, you've got to be able to lead to team to uh, form relationships. Um, certainly at the developing elite and at the adult elite level, a lot of your career is, uh, or, or your game is out of your control because you might not be chosen, you might not be picked. There's a great deal of frustration there, especially, as I say, for adult elites, the professional level. Um, it's phenomenally, phenomenally psychological. Um, and it's phenomenally psychological on the pitch. Uh, golf. You've got to be able to return the club head to the golf ball um, in a manner whereby the ball comes off the face accurately. You know, that there, there are laws of motion that determine whether that's going to happen. It's more of a physical, technical game um, than, than people believe it to be. So there's such a myth, this idea of individual sports are psychological and team sports aren't and, and self-paced sports are psychological and uh, quick uh, sports are absolute rubbish. <laughs> and just, just on that then, you know, talking there about individual and uh, there was difference between individual and uh, team sports. What would you say are the key, the key, uh, I guess, common, um, things in terms of from a psychological perspective obviously you know everyone's dealing we, we all deal with setbacks whether it's individual or team sport we all deal you know we all deal with success and what all these other things that come into it are there any major things that you'd say that are just a, a, a given regardless of what sport you're in yeah probably probably three mental skills are on the court the course the pitch um in the in the pool in the gym um, I, I, you know, if you speak to different sports psychologists, they're going to have their own ideas. They're going to have their own, own colloquialisms. Mm. Whenever I, I, whatever sport I work in, you know, three mental skills when uh, a competitor is competing: um, attention, so the capacity to pay attention and deal with distractions; um, the capacity to play uh, at the right intensity um, and deal with under and over activation or arousal which is a horrible term that we might use uh, so <laughs> attention and intensity and then a final one would be the capacity to compete or play with positive intent to execute your skills with intent rather than being inhibited um, or avoidant uh, yeah you know we're, we're talking right now at this moment everybody's raving about um, the last dance uh, michael jordan the chicago bulls Fantastic documentary. documentary. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really good documentary. I mean, whether it's, I mean, a documentary is a documentary. You have to remember, I mean, I got myself into trouble 
the other day on LinkedIn writing about this because everybody had a go at me. But a documentary is a documentary. I mean, it's 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 there for fun. It's there for entertainment purposes. It gives you a, it gives you a slice. There are some truisms there about high performance environments, and then there's some um, prisms by which. That, you know, it's all through Michael Jordan's eyes, a lot of it, and et cetera, et cetera, which is understandable. Um, but uh, what you can get a sense of is, you know, if you watch them play, if you watch them compete, you know, if you watch Premier League players play and compete, just think attention, intensity, and intent. Attention, intensity, and intent. So if you take somebody like Michael Jordan, who's going to be the extreme example here, you know, his capacity to uh, pay attention, to the right cues and clues that uh, are going on around him at all times, um, his capacity to um, deal with distractions. Okay. Um, so that's the attention piece. You know, his ability to play at an intensity level that was right for him and maintain that intensity no matter what. Um, and then his capacity to play with a positive intent. Every action, every movement, every motion executed with this enormous positive intent so if we come back to football you know the ability to positively pass or pass positively with positive intent to make runs move into space positively to get on the end of a cross positive to deliver positively etc etc so it's those three mental skills that you can apply that to golf you can apply that as i said to basketball you can apply that Mm. to croquet you can apply that to tiddlywinks it's all the same so those would be similar things. But one of, one of the challenges we've got, you know, just broadening out the answer to your, to, to, to yeah. your question here is that one of the great problems we've got, and we use quite a long, uh, quite a complicated word here, and then I'll, I'll explain what it means. There's a real ontological problem in coaching, especially in football, and especially at the very top level with managers and coaches in, say, the Premier League. And by onto- what ontology is, it's, it, it's a ph- philosophical term. And it basically is the philosophy of what exists, the philosophy of what exists. OK, and um, most people think that what sports psychology is, is to do with welfare and well-being, is to do with mental health. And maybe mm-hmm. what you alluded to earlier, of just overcoming disappointments. And that, that just it, it, what it the challenge we've got in sports psychology is helping coaches understand what exists within sports psychology. Sports psychology is very broad. It's very wide ranging. Sports psychology is about personality. It's about self skills. It's about psychologically informed environments. It's about coach practice. You know, it's, it's, it's about uh, setting up your activities in a manner where, where people learn where players learn. We talk about putting on a coaching session. We never talk about putting on a learning session. Psychology mm. is about motivation. It's about mental skills, as I've said, so Just on that, then, Dan, yeah. you talk there about, you know, putting on a coaching session versus putting on a learning session. What would you say are the key differences there? I mean, some would argue that a coaching session should be one where, where people are learning anyway. Okay, so so if, if let, let, let's, uh, let's role play here then. If you're saying that people okay. argue that uh, you're putting on a coaching session, it should be a learning session. What would you say those coaches are saying are the keys to learning are? How do people learn? Well, I think it's just looking at how people process information, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially, what will, be in, what will engage the attention of that, uh, of the, you know, the said student or participants in the session. So you touched on earlier about the, the, your interest in, in, you know, in psych. 
and it wasn't specific to a sport. It was you just had a, a, a genuine interest within it, so it was able to capture your attention in that respect. So I think first and foremost for me, if I was putting on a session, I'd be looking at why are these players here? Why? They, what, what is it they love about the game? So one of the practices I kind of carry out within my own work is regardless of what session I'm doing, I'm always getting feedback from the players to identify what is it about my particular practices and my sessions that they enjoy. So is it the high-intensity elements that they enjoy? Is it the particular angles of, and distances where they're able to maybe take a strike at goal or whatever those specifics may be? And then I try and make more of an effort to kind of include those things in my practices and sessions going forward because I know that those are the things that are going to essentially be the key motivators for them in, within my session, if that makes sense. So I love what you said there. So reflecting back what you've said... You've said that the participation piece is really important for you. You said, I want to engage players. If I don't engage players, they're not going to learn. That's firstly what you've said. Would that be a fair thing to reflect back to you? 110%. Okay. So I, I, I absolutely agree with, with, with you. So having a conversation with you, I already know that, um, that you know, you're, you're going to be the kind of coach I'd love to be, to, to, to be coached by because you're starting with the engagement piece. I'm not sure every coach starts there, but that engagement piece is really important. You know, the capacity to gain, engage players in the moment for the, set, for the activity, for the session, for the week, mm. for, for the month, for the season, hey, and then the capacity to help players become lifelong participants. So that participation piece, that engagement piece, I think is vital, spot on. Then what you moved on, I, what I heard was being player-centred, not necessarily being player-led, but player-centred. Yeah. So by, by that, you're, you're trying to establish some feedback from players as to what they enjoy um, about your coaching sessions, so you're asking. De- definitely, I mean, I'm certainly got to a point where I mean, I, I think it's probably fair to say is okay. This is my take on things now, having some experience, you know, ten plus years experience coaching myself. Um, I may not necessarily expect someone who's coming straight into coaching to have that because I know certainly I did not when I first came into coaching. It was very much, you know, I'm going to tell you what to do, and this is how I want it done, and that was it. Whether I necessarily saw the players enjoying it or not, um, I guess that's just kind of how my education was in terms of how coaching should look but obviously going forward now with experience I think the key thing that I've understood is that ultimately if the players aren't enjoying it they're never really going to learn um it's very few people within within that context that might take away something from what I'm actually trying to achieve but ultimately I made it to the point where now I don't use many different practices so if a player and what I try to do within the design of my practice is also make sure that they're very dynamic in what they can achieve so that if a player comes to me and I've had this before where a player comes to me oh, you know, yes can we do this session or can we do that practice and because of the way I've I like to feel like I've designed the practices they can be quite dynamic I can still utilize those practices to get maybe some of the outcomes that I'm hoping to get out but it's a practice that they've selected that they've brought, come to me and said oh, we've really enjoyed doing this today um, I guess to me I look at it as and it's good to get your views on it. I look at that as an opportunity for me to say, well, look, I'm going to get your buy-in because you've come to me and told me that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 what I hear I, when, I'm, when I'm listening to you, I think of co-creation, that coaching, it, it's interesting uh, what you said about early in your coaching career, you saw it as very much uh, instructional and directive and top-down. Uh, mm-hmm. And then over the past decade, you've learned that it's actually, as, you, as we've mentioned this before, player-centered. It's more a negotiation. I hear the word negotiation. I think of the word co-creation, that coaching, you know, isn't a, I'm telling you what to do. It's more of a co-creation. And what I hear you talking about is a player involvement 
Um, yeah. Uh, and so when they're involved and coming back to a word that you said at the beginning of this was that processing, processing uh, these things at a deeper level, when my players are involved, they're processing things at a deeper level. I hear you talk about dynamic, you know, that word dynamic means uh, change, changing. So, so it, your practices, maybe your activities are variable. So they're exciting. They, they're stretch. I'm thinking of stretch. Mm-hmm. They're challenging. Um, and as a consequence of that, um, as long as they're not overly challenging beyond, well, far too beyond the competence of a player, then they tend to enjoy it. And in yeah. an enjoyment, um, what we know in science uh, is that uh, when we like something, we release this hormone called dopamine um, and it makes us want to come back for more, essentially. It's our habit yeah. forming um it's our habit forming hormone Uh, dopamine plays many many roles in our life but that's one of one of the roles so it's when i like something i release dopamine i want to come back for more it feels good so player involvement is important um co-creation is important diet being dynamic as you said is important variability is important so um listening to you uh, i love what you're saying just just one other thing when you said off air to me that one of the goals of this podcast is to uh, speak uh, towards the grassroots coach. And it's interesting that you say when you first started coaching that you perhaps viewed coaching as this top-down process, I tell you what to do and you get on with it. And I think that's one of the challenges that we have is helping new coaches and, and quite often where very experienced coaches understand that coaching whilst we're not saying that instruction uh, isn't important at times whilst we're not saying that uh, being uh, 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 authoritative as a coach isn't important at times and that that's authoritative and not authoritarian authoritative whilst we're not saying that those things can't happen they absolutely can and they have to um at the same time, it's helping these new coaches understand that coaching is more of a co-creation and a negotiation. And that's yeah. where learning, as you said, takes, take, takes place. But I think we also have to remember that we can't assume that everybody knows that and understands that. And we have to keep spelling out that... Um, and, and words matter, language matters, and definitions matter. And Definitely. that's where I think I'm putting on a coaching session versus I'm putting on a learning session. I think there's an interesting shift there. And I wonder if we've got a room full of, say, 20 grassroots coaches. I wonder if, uh, it, 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 if we had this kind of conversation, how many could start to talk as articulately and eloquently as you have about uh, putting on a learning session that's we've got to continue to probe that and continue to um point people in 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 the right direction in my opinion and all of this is just my opinion. Yeah. i'm that's very happy to be wrong you know yeah no 100 and I, you know i think it is it is about opinions and i think there is but you know i think there is a lot of uh, science behind some of the things obviously that you're mentioning there i think what would be quite interesting though you know you've touched on there about what that conversation might look like with a, with some grassroots coaches um now one of my roles actually I deliver I deliver I actually deliver level ones and level twos for the FA mm. um so you know I think maybe that that actually might might be a conversation I could have with some of the learners that come into my courses essentially in that 
Yeah. What do they identify as a coaching session? What will they identify as a learning session? And if you have to describe potentially the characteristics of either one, one, what would be the difference? And two, which one would you rather participate in? Are you, um, the FA can have that for nothing, eh? <laughs> there you go. Well, they, uh, there you look, go. I, I think, I think that that's it. That's the point for me of these kind of, especially level one and level two, is that, you know, I think with, look, I, I think what the FA don't, hey, look, I don't think the FA care about what I think about the FA, and I think the FA do a tremendous job. I think they're one of the world's leading organisations when it comes to the education of coaches. Not that they would be too concerned about what I think about what they do. Um, what I would say with any organisation, again, in my opinion, is that I think that I understand that there has to be a level of um, um, formal education uh, with the sport itself. But yeah. coaching is a very interesting dynamic. And what you'll find is that very, very good coaches of a specific sport could take their wares, take their coaching skills into any other sport and coach that sport. Why? Yeah. Because, because on the one hand, it's a very interesting juxtaposition. On the one hand, it is clearly very important to be an expert of your sport. On the other hand, it is clearly very unimportant to be an expert of your sport yeah. because coaching doesn't necessarily require you to be an expert of your sport. Um, it's very easy to facilitate once you know how to coach from a facilitative perspective, from a consultative perspective, um, from a divergent perspective, as in you can create an environment, utilize a set of questions, create an environment that creates a player-led approach. You can then facilitate from there. You don't actually need to know the sport. I personally think a random sport, I could go and coach boxing. I couldn't provide any technique, but I could help a boxer explore certain avenues become aware of what they're doing mm. and help them to coach themselves. Yeah. So I, I, I think that if we're going back, let's go back. The reason I've gone down this path is because you talked about level one and level two. Yeah. For me, those courses are best served, in my opinion, from an explorative perspective, mm -hmm. from... Uh, a facilitative process of helping people establish the building blocks of what great coaching looks like to them, yeah. what coaching means to them, of expanding their definitions of coaching, of looking at alternative approaches to coaching, but helping them explore that on their terms rather than this is what golf looks like. This is what football looks like. These are the techniques that you need to use. Well, no, possibly not. Um, there's lots of ways to do it. But look, hey, you know, that, that's my view. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting what you say there in terms of um, that. What I've taken from that is essentially it's all about setting that learning environment and getting them to you know, use that example there about you working with a boxer. And I think... Uh, what you're saying is kind of very much in alignment with, I guess, how I how I tend to coach. In that, I'm very uh, reluctant to give a player or a group of players a a solution. Rather, I'd, I'd I'd 
want to lead them to it and maybe probe on their awareness and understanding of the context themselves, um, which I guess kind of falls into line with what you've kind of suggested there in that it's about getting them to almost teach themselves with a bit of guidance um, by maybe using Q&A heavily. For, uh, you know, I, I, when people ask me, you know, what type of coach am I and what's my philosophy? I often use the phrase, you know, I like to consider my co- myself as a coach of the why. Okay. Uh, in understanding, you know, it's not really about what decision you're making, but do you understand what the decision that you've, or where the decisions come from and what the, I guess, the considerations you've made whether subconsciously or consciously within that to come to that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, absolutely. And, and as, as you mentioned there, that would be very much a question and answer approach. Um, that I, I think it's an interesting dynamic. I think there's always going to be advantages, disadvantages, strengths and limitations to any approach. It's just, un- yeah. I think as a coach, it's understanding that if I'm going to be a hundred percent instructional, what advantages does does that give me and what limitations does that provide um, or does that encompass um, if I'm going to be completely player-centred towards player-led? Again, what strengths and weaknesses uh, encapsulates those? Um, There's always advantages and limitations, disadvantages to to, to any approach. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a mixed, eclectic, uh, set of approaches um, so uh, I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic definitely you know, I just want to take you back to your your own journey a little bit you talked there about you know going and working in different environments you know you work for England golf England rugby England football what would you, you know, can you tell me text through that journey a little bit what were the, some of the key things that you picked up in each of those environments that might have been transferable and potentially could be applied you know, by our listeners and some of the work that they're doing? There's a big question. Um, uh, I, I suppose, I mean, there's things I can and can't say. Uh, England, sure. rug, England rugby, um, I would say, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of how this could apply to grassroots because so much of my work is in well, no, if, 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 I'm more than happy for you to express and give examples that, you know, work towards the elite coaching community as well. And then, you know, maybe we can dissect and look at how that could be maybe transferred and applied within grassroots, but maybe those grassroots sessions as well as those who are maybe not working in grassroots at this moment in time. I think um, England rugby, I would say challenge, stretch versus support. Um, I always say coaches have two dials, a stretch dial and a support dial. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that what they do quite well at England rugby is to stretch their players, um, perhaps not across the board, but certainly from a physical perspective. Um, so I think that finding that stretch versus support uh, sweet spot, I think, is is a really useful thing to, to to try to find. By stretch, I think what I mean is that on the pitch, it's creating the tasks, creating the rules, um, individual challenges, group challenges that enables players to feel a stretch, feel out of their, 
you know, it's almost cliche to say it now, isn't it? To feel out of their comfort zone, to feel uncomfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yeah. So I, I think that that's certainly an environment that I was in that I felt that they did that quite well. I think Eddie's, I can say this because I think he's on record as saying that perhaps certainly the year I was involved, he was a bit overzealous in the Six Nations about doing that and the players were quite tired. They'd come off a heavy summer schedule with the um, Lions tour. So that was several years ago. Um, but I think perhaps that's something to consider is what does optimal stretch look like? What does optimal support look like and how do you support your players through that you know how how do you stretch your players and when you're stretching your players through tasks through individual challenge through rules uh, how do you support your players I mean for me I think you do that through mental skills you know I think that that's really important um, I think that England golf and I'm going to try and apply this to football I think at England golf what they did very well is when the players went out to practice their game we were very good at asking them to practice every element of their game at the same time. Um, and I think football could do that better. And let me explain what I mean by that. I think that when coaches create activities, they create, say, a passing activity because they want their players to get better at passing. They create a keep ball um, because, I don't know, maybe they want their players to be better with their, uh, you know, movement and body shape and, and, and the kind of things that players learn from doing a, 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 a keep ball that you'd know far better than me or a small side of the game or something like that. But I, but I think that maybe what football needs to understand is those, are, those activities are opportunities for players to work on multiple areas especially from the psychological side a keep ball a small sided game is an opportunity for players to work on leadership an opportunity for them to work on teamship to work on relationship uh, to work on mental skills um, so every activity that you do within your sessions offers strands through technical tactical physical mental social uh, psychological and social uh, especially the psychosocial side so bear that in mind and I think at England golf okay it's a different sport but every time they set foot on the course it was they had a challenge from each uh, component of the game yeah. to bring it all together um, yeah I, 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 hopefully that gives you, uh, gives you an idea um, yeah. uh, I've worked with England I've worked with a lot of England players over the years yeah yeah and just just in in that then what kind of what what would that look like so obviously you know you, you, maybe some players have reached out to you or you reached out or, or reached out to you for your services essentially what would that look like obviously you can't talk specifics obviously everyone's different and they've also got their own individual thing that you probably can't disclose but what were some of the challenges that players maybe face that they maybe need your support with the usual challenge is what every player on the planet faces and the usual challenge is what we're, we're all rubbish at um, when it <laughs> comes to this stuff at the very highest level especially. There's this enormous assumption that the best players are good at the mental side of the game. Some of them are worse than a 12-year-old grassroots player. Um, 
some of them have so much skill in their feet that they just get away with it um, more often than not. That doesn't mean they get away with it all the time. Um, yeah. It's a fascinating landscape because you've got a lot of a lot of people out there at the very adult elite level who talk about the will to win and wanting to win and how competitive they are, and yet their mental skills are horrendous. Um, so I don't quite see how that marries up with the will to win. Um, uh, see, this is what you get when you've done this for 15 years. You don't care what you say anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so you've got some good copy here, Yaz. Um, so basically, um, when you sit down with a player, uh, I'm talking about performance psychology here. I'm not talking about well-being or welfare. I'm not talking about sure. mental health. Let's put that to the side. Um, uh, when you ask a player at the very top level, or any player, what are you trying to achieve mentally on the pitch? In 15 years, I've never had a player able to articulate with any accuracy what they're trying to achieve mentally on the pitch. And actually, when you speak to them, what they're, what they're by and large, they say is, oh, well, come on, Dan, you know, I want to win. I want to perform well. I'd like to be man or woman of the match, you know. Well, not good enough. I'm really sorry, but that's pathetic. Um, it's just not good enough. And, and I'm being quite strong with my words because it's not good enough from the people around them. Yeah. not good enough from the people. It's not good enough from coaches around them. And if it offends anybody, then, well, please come on Twitter and have a conversation with me. Don't get offended by it. Just have a conversation with me. Yeah. It's just not good enough. It's not good enough that a, that a player who plays at the elite level or at the developing elite level isn't able to articulate within 30 seconds what they're trying to achieve mentally on the pitch. So you just know, on that, then, I, you I, say, would yeah. you say a large part of that is down to people around them to make them aware of what it is they're trying to achieve or can the player not be given a bit more ownership and actually assessing what it is they're trying to achieve well how can somebody go through a, an academy program that's pumping millions of pounds into it yeah. and then that player comes out at 18 years old and can't say what they're trying to achieve mentally on the pitch and yet everything we know um, about let's say our neurobiology is that as human beings, we're going to get in our own way. You know, our brain and our... Ner- People say to me, well, football, Dan, come on, football works in seconds. It's a quick sport. The brain and nervous system work in milliseconds. I mean, yeah. come on. Let, let's do a little bit of reading about your subject here. The brain and nervous system works in milliseconds. We know, we know with, with quite a bit of certainty that um, as human beings, we have a propensity towards a negative brain. It's a survival mechanism. That's why we have a lot of sensitivity to negative emotion. Um, and for me, if I want to be an elite sports person, I want to possibly be able to have the capacity to cope with that. I want to have self-regulation skills, coping skills on the pitch. How can somebody come out of full-time education in a specific um, sport and not have those skills it just makes no sense to me you know look i say that as somebody who's worked in these environments who's worked in academies and what they offer is 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 brilliant it's fantastic it's wonderful but what it's not is it's not vociferous enough uh, it's not strong enough on the mental side it doesn't sit it's too scared to sit down with players and say no you are going to have a mental skills framework Uh, You know, you are going to learn this. You are going to work on this every day. And when you leave us, whether you are signing a pro or whether you are going elsewhere or whether you're going to the States on a scholarship or whatever you're doing or you're walking into everyday life, you know, we want to know that you're able 
to articulate what that mental skills framework yeah. is and you're able to execute it and you have the me- mechanisms to be able to do that. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's good enough that players aren't able to do that. But, and why it is, is because we're bullied by good players. Yeah. And by that, I mean, oh, well, I don't need this. Oh, I'm mentally strong. Oh, I'm mentally tough. Oh, I don't need this. Well, sure. we do. Um, so, so we're bullied by good players. We're bullied by the uh, vastness and width and breadth of psychology and our inability to make sense of it. So we're bullied by the players themselves. We're bullied by the vastness of psychology. And we, uh, and we don't have the mechanisms to make sense of things. And so we don't have very succinct formulas or frameworks to help players uh, build a template from. And so, for instance, you, let's come back to your original question. You know, um, I've created uh, a set of tools that are individual specific, that um, players can build a framework from, uh, that help them manage themselves on the pitch. And it was only yesterday that I worked with a very high profile. I, I travelled across England, got in my car, travelled across England like I do all the time. I went to the house of this player. I sat down with this player. Uh, we started to talk about things. And this player said what every player says to me, that, yeah, I'm getting distracted. I'm, I get down on myself out there on the pitch. How other players are playing affects me and, and so on and so forth. And that this happens. People don't realise that, you know, people are, they, these players are playing in front of 50,000 people, but their brain and nervous system is working milliseconds. It's throwing out thoughts and feelings all the time. These players need a framework. Then when we started to work on this framework and it was individual individual to this player so this player came up with his own solutions uh, by the end of it he said to me oh my i wish and i'm 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 being polite with the way he phrased this but oh my i wish i'd had this seven years ago mm. uh, because if i'd had this seven years ago then i might be in a different position today i might be in a different club today and this is still a very good player at a very very top club but and, and that's not me saying, uh, Yaz, that, oh, look, Dan Abrahams is so good. That's me saying we as a collective, we as a collective aren't good enough for these players at the moment. They deserve more. They deserve better. They, need, they deserve better processes. Um, mm. We in psychology need to do better to help you guys understand what that can look like. Uh, and the coaching community together with the psychology community needs to do better to be able to offer these for players and players themselves you know yeah. need to open their minds to, to doing this stuff so we need to all work better together definitely and one of the key things i take away from everything you said they you know if you agree with me, you know let me know your thoughts but we summing it up is that it's about being deliberate and intentional about what we're trying to achieve here well, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's certainly been deliberate and intentional with the mental side of the game. It's yeah. definitely it, it, but that's look, that's my opinion, and, and there's there's a there's a branch of coaches who are quite uh, vociferous on um, mm. Twitter who talk about uh, an area called ecological psycho or ecological dynamics, where they think that the task and the environment 
you know, you set the task in the environment and the players themselves will self-organise and will find their own solutions when it comes to the mental side of the game. I think that's absolute codswallop, to put it politely. Yeah. Um, I think you can find some of it through that, but I think players need to be, as you said, intentional about it. When people are intentional about things, when they're intentional with their learning, um, I understand the notion, the, the uh, literature on implicit learning. I understand implicit learning happens. I'm just a believer that when things are explicitly done, then I think we learn at a deeper processing level. But that's my opinion. And there, there is literature out there to uh, counter what I've said. And there are people who would believe differently, which is fine. That's, it's all up for good debate. Sure. I just, you know, just want to just delve a bit deeper into that you know, in terms of the individual development and working with individuals, you know, especially in elite sport. And, you know, I think even at grassroots level, you know, there is a, I guess, a pressure on players to perform um, specifically, you know, performing under pressure as well. You know, throughout your time, what would you say are some of the key, I guess, characteristics or, yeah, I guess, or characteristics or ingredients that you've observed to be key in actually players being able to deal with those high pressure situations? Yeah, I know players have to be able to perform under pressure, and so they've got to stop. Be, they've got to stop worrying about performing. They've got to stop worrying about performing. Uh, for most of them, it's a it's a very interesting dynamic, and it's called achievement. It's very much entrenched in achievement goal theory, which was, um, you know, everybody out there will know the work of Professor Carol Dweck and growth mm. mindset. But actually, what a lot of people don't realise is the thirty years she spent um, uh, researching uh, an area called achievement goals, achievement goals, which is very much. Um, um, you know, we can be orient, we can be ego oriented, so focused on performing really well or getting the kind of outcome that we want, uh, performing better than others, essentially, or we could be mastery uh, or task oriented. Um, so just focus on the uh, uh, intricacies of performance or the the things that make up performance, mastery or task oriented. And so most of the time, with most players, I find that they want to be less ego-oriented and more task or mastery-oriented. So it's helping players break down their game uh, and break down their mindset into mini tasks and mini uh, uh, mastery orientations and helping them focus on those and helping them create a narrative or an inner story around those going into a game rather than an ego orientation. So what that ego orientation means again is got to win, got to win, got to win, got to win, got to beat the guys, got to beat them, got to beat them, Mm. got to be man of the match, got to be woman of the match, want to score, want to score, want to score, got to score, got to keep clean sheets, got to keep clean sheets, got to win, got to win the league. And, Now, that's not to say that those things can't motivate, and that's what the literature will say, is some ego orientation is useful. But by and large, the players who call me in um, are so entrenched there that that's causing them anxiety. That Mm. distracts them. That causes inhibition on the pitch. Why? Because they miss a great chance to score. And so they, they spend the rest of their game, the uh, rest of the match, engulfed in what I call ants. A for automatic, N for negative, T for thoughts, 
ants, automatic negative thoughts. They have to build the capacity to squash their ants and get back to their tasks. Um, so, so really it's about helping players get away from, uh, from performance. And this is the great paradox is actually the less they focus on performance and the more they focus on their tasks, the less they create a narrative around, right, got to perform, got to perform, got to perform, and more around, hey, relax, you know, just focus on my tasks. And one last thing there, again, a very paradoxical thing, is actually the more they accept that they can't guarantee an 8 out of 10 game, they relax about it, and they say, look, if I'm going to be 6 out of 10, I'm going to be 6 out of 10. You know, that's just, that's, that's going to happen. You know, so I work with one player. Obviously, I can't name names. I've worked with one player. And look, he just so happens to be one of the best players in the world. Um, you know, and he, um, it's, a, it's a player that everybody would know. He's worked very hard on himself um, to make sure that his narrative going into a game is uh, away from performance. He's not trying to perform. He allows the performance to take care of itself. He knows what an 8 out of 10 game looks like. Don't get me wrong. He knows what an 8 out of 10 game looks like. But he accepts a 6 out of 10 performance. He accepts that some days the reality is that it's going to be 6 out of 10. And that's okay. That's fine. But because he accepts a 6 out of 10 performance, he invites in an 8 out of 10 game because he's more relaxed. Because he accepts sure. a six out of ten performance, it actually eliminates the four and the five out of ten performance. So just just on that, then you know, it, it's quite interesting. Obviously, to, it, it makes complete sense. You know, obviously, if you're not really thinking about the end result, then you just enjoy again. You just focusing and just enjoying the process, so to speak, rather than thinking about where it's going to end up. Are there any practical steps that you can advise, and maybe coaches or even potential players listening to this? could take to get to the point where they're actually able just to accept those things because what I'm really hearing from you there is that you just can control the controllables and don't worry about anything else um, yeah what will, happen, what will happen will happen sort of thing uh, yeah but then you know those those steps are to actually focus on the things you can specifically control and that's sure. where the techniques I've devised over the years can help. And I, you know, that other other sites will have other great techniques. Um, but if you want an example, and if I suppose if I'm known on, you know, within the community, it's it's known for my technique of game face, uh, okay. and and in very simple terms, and it's not the whole um, game face piece. But I'll give you a very simple idea: is just just if you help players think about themselves at their best. Uh, you help them use their memory and reflect about, reflect on them at their best um, and get them to pick a couple of action-based words related to them at their best, related to them at their best, um, and help them to focus on those words, being and doing and acting those words and setting an objective around that. So I'll give you a working example. Um, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you a working example I can, I can talk about. Um, so, because uh, I, I, I wrote about Yannick, working with Yannick Bellassi, um, the uh, former Crystal Palace and Everton uh, winger. Mm -hmm. And he has a game face of brave, lively, relentless Ronaldo. Brave, lively, relentless Ronaldo. So when we spoke about him at his best, he said, brave, lively, relentless, brave, lively and relentless. So when he goes on the pitch, he's trying to be BLR. 
brave, lively, and relentless, brave, lively, and relentless. Uh. Say it, be it, do it, act it. That, what, that player I spoke about earlier, the, the one who's one of the best in the world, his is relentless and dominant, relentless and dominant. My job on the pitch is to be relentless and dominant. Why? Because when he, he said to me, when I'm at my best, we, we took a bit of time to come up with this, but relentless and dominant. I'm relentless with every run, every movement, every action, every motion. I'm dominant in the challenge. I'm dominant in my 1v1s. I'm dominant to do this and that. I'm not going to go into detail because it will give away who it is. You know, if I give the ball away, relentless and dominant. If my if my shot goes into Rose Ed, relentless and dominant. If we go a goal behind, relentless and dominant. If my cross goes into Rose Ed, relentless and dominant, relentless and dominant. Uh relentless and dominant and so you know every bit of narrative he has about the game goes back to his game face of relentless and dominant or for Yannick it was brave lively relentless so it enables them to focus on something tangible something that that relates to their game something relates to the responsibilities within their role something that they can control rather than what they can't control that's what I call a game face it's one of the techniques I, I have um, and that, to me, is what coaches need. I think we get very into confidence, control, concentration, communication, or we so the, the, the C's, or we get into psychological characteristics for developing excellence, like imagery and self-awareness and relaxation. And these are great words, and those, yes, absolutely, but players don't have fun exciting dynamic tangible techniques that they can go yeah man i can go and do this now i can go and do this tomorrow i'm talking in terms of game face controllers squashing ants match script high hpm high performance mindset those are my techniques i don't use the term visualization i don't use the term picturing every day to spend one percent of your day 15 minutes picturing 1% 1% of your day, 15 minutes, picturing you at your best, picturing your game face, picturing using controllers, picturing squashing ants. You've got to make it fun. You've got to make it tangible. Mm. You've got to make players be able to feel like they can go and do this. Definitely. And, you know, just, just on that, you talk, you touched there about, you know, high performance um, mindset. And obviously, you know, you've worked with a lot of organisations, a lot of individual players, and some, as you touched on there, some of the best in the world. What would you say is some of the key ingredients in, in, in developing a high-performance environment, not just for an individual, but just for a, for a collective group of players or athletes or other? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's many keys, there's many ingredients. And I think first and foremost, I, I would say, you know, high-performance environment is a very wide-ranging thing. So I think firstly, for any coach, it's about making sense of what that looks like. And obviously that goes well beyond the psych. Uh, the psych and the psychosocial sides of, of 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 the game. You know, you're going to add things like you know, <laughs> nutrition and best practice and and uh, and physical side as best you can. When yeah. it comes to the psychosocial sides of a high performance environment, I'd urge coaches to go and you know, the, again, sit down with a bit of paper, a pen, and start to make sense of what that looks like. Um, but one of those ingredients is what I would call a psychologically informed environment, a psychologically informed environment, a pie, P-I-E, a pie. And that's very much borrowed from uh, social services in England, homelessness services uh, who, 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 who create pies um, um, for people who have suffered trauma. 
um, for people with uh, complex needs. But I think everybody has complex needs. I think everybody is complex. And so establishing a pie. And so what really what you do is, you know, this is very, very, this starts in a very basic way. You know, this just starts with um, taking into account what a pie is, is it's just we take into account the thoughts, feelings and experiences and personalities or thoughts, feelings, personalities and experiences of players in our care. You know, it's we we put a people first spin on this. Um, it's understanding that our people have thoughts and feelings and emotions and personalities and experiences. They come with histories, uh, needs, wants, hopes, doubts, beliefs, expectations, values, cultures, races, etc., etc. You know, we we take this into account. This isn't just about oh, we are coaching them football. This is about we are we are coaching people football. So what does the people side mean? And I think when you start there, my best bit of advice is to start there. And so start having, where you can, conversations about your people. Um, and when you do that, then you start establishing a psychologically informed environment. It really is as simple as that. Definitely. I, mean, I think just putting it into perspective there, one thing I really take away from it is really getting to the heart of who the person is and finding out what makes them tick and making them feel comfortable with what's happening. Yeah. 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 So, you know, just, um, just delving a bit deeper then, what would you say, you know, you've had a 15 plus, you know, 15 years or so in the industry now. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that players face and more specifically coaches maybe faced with when trying to support players in terms of the site side of things? Um, I just think it's, I think it's understanding. I think it's, um, I, I, I think it's understanding the psychosocial side. I think it's defining it uh, for yourself. And again, I come back to just sit down with a bit of paper, a pen and start, start um, writing down what that looks like for you in your own practice. You know, just do 10, 10 minutes a week, 20 minutes a week. You know, that builds up over time. Um, I think it's, you know, let's use that word again, time. I think it's having the time to deliver it. But I think that that can be done within your training sessions. Mm. Um, you know, come back to what I said earlier about every activity offers uh, you a chance to help players work uh, on their leadership, their teamship, their relationship, um, their mental skills. And that can be as simple as the first 30 seconds, um, you know, asking them to think about what a great session looks like from a mental perspective today what does it what does it look like we're going to do this keep ball now what does that look like mentally yeah. you want to achieve mentally you know just spend a minute doing that you know you can do that as a grassroots coach um yep it cuts off one minute but that's okay that's that's valuable that that's a more profitable time spent in my opinion so i think it's two things you know i think i think uh, i think it's it's time and i think it's understanding and i think when you get those two things if you just improve a little bit on those two things then then you're going to make a, a world of difference definitely and i think you know just touching on there in terms of that that time and that that 
it definitely is a massive factor because obviously, you know, especially when you work here, depending on what environment you're working, I think you, you can never really have enough time for anything, can you? Really, I mean, to some extent, you, you always got something else that might play a part in that in that process. So, how, you know, from from an individual perspective, you know, you're working with all these athletes on an individual level. How how much in collaboration of do you then tie into with, I guess, their team environments, those that are in team environments? Because presumably these people will come into you on an individual level asking you to support them around some of the things that they've identified for themselves. Do you then, you know, do you then think it's important or do you at all then collaborate with their, I guess, their team environments as well? And what what does that process look like if, if, if that was the case? Uh, not if I've been asked outside of their team environment to to, to work with them, uh, whether it's from an agent or from, from the player, him or herself. Yeah. Um, obviously, if I'm engaged by a club, then I will liaise with the head coach as to best practice for them. Uh, I will obviously make suggestions. Um, but I think there needs to be, in any club, uh, ideally an integrated process. I think sports psychology tends to be isolated rather than integrated. And so I think best practice there looks like, you know, a lot of this going through the coaching staff. So working with the coaching staff and working yeah. through the coaching staff, uh, as well as working with individual players. I think group sessions can be valuable, um, depending on what the subject matter is. Um, you've got to remember, if you've got 20, 25 players in the room, they're all going to have different needs, wants, hopes, doubts, beliefs, expectations, etc. So I think, you know, if, if uh, I've been in environments where, where, consultants are doing a, a presentation every week i don't think that's wise um I, I i think a group facilitation can be useful here and there i think small group facilitations are more useful uh, and then individual uh, work is is uh, i think imperative and i think that working through the coaching uh, with and through the coaching staff is is imperative as well so just giving it a real integrated integrated feel Mm. And, you know, we talked a lot there about supporting an individual, but you know, one of your specialties there happens to be team building too. Um, now, what would you say is fundamentally necessary in order to develop a cohesive team, and then you know, more so, more specifically, a high performing one beyond that? Um, what, what? Sorry, what's beyond um, the? Uh, sorry, what's beyond team building? What is team building? Did you ask me? Yeah, so you, one of your key areas, um, you, you obviously touched on one of your key areas. So we talked a lot there about developing and supporting an individual there. But one of your specialist areas is actually working with teams, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, team building. What would you say are some of the key ingredients in, in that? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I've got you now. Um, uh, well, um, I, I, I think that, well, where, where can we go there? I think that can be wide ranging. Um, and again, every context is going to be different. I think that, so, so I think, you know, the first port of call there is is speaking with the key stakeholders, whether that's the coaching staff, whether that's the leadership group. And um, and so, however, if I was to draw a broad brush statement over things, I, cert I, I probably believe that every single um, team environment would do well if it uh, has a set of values that underpin core behaviors um, I believe that players should come up with those drive those facilitated by staff as well um, so I think a set of team values underpinning 
behaviours is important. I think that there's a theory in psychology and social psychology called social identity theory. So if you think that every individual has their own identity, they define themselves as this and, and that and what's important to them. Social identity is we, we as individuals have group membership. I'm a football fan. I'm a sports coach. Um, I'm a, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a music fan. I'm a fan of R and B or whatever it is. We, we have group memberships. And so what we know is if we want to um, help players team, then we want to make the identity of our team quite powerful and yeah. meaningful to players. Um, so I, and I, I, I'm led to believe from fairly good sources that this is what Pep Guardiola has been working on over the last few years is creating a greater meaning around Manchester City for the Manchester City players. So that those players who are obviously all multimillionaires, well, why should I put in 100% effort for Manchester City? You know, well, how can we make this more meaningful? So selling in the history, you know, what do we do here? Why is Manchester City important? What is the history? What, how can we make this more meaningful to players? What history can we create? What values do we have here? You know, so it's kind of selling in what, what uh, your organisation can mean to players to onboard them, to make it meaningful to them. Um, so I think that that can be uh, an important, um, important process here. So um, ident identifying a team identity, if you like, can be a useful process. Um, and then really just that psychologically informed environment just helping players feel valued feel cared for you know right. i think that that's always important especially at the adult elite level in the world of football whereby you know players don't always get to play uh, and so how can we help them feel valued how can we help them feel a part of the team when they're not a part of the team you know and that might be making sure you work on their game you know helping them feel like they're improving um so things like that yeah, you know, you quite have had a very interesting uh, you know, experience across all the different sports, and I'm sure you're going to have continue to keep having those. Just you know, just before as we wind down, it'd just be interesting to know what's next for Danny Abrams in terms of your your specific ambitions and your journey, and where you want to kind of go with your 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 career next. It's a good question. Um, you know what? I I I I love doing lots of different things i mean i'm writing my next book i um i um love to consult i love to go and work with individual athletes i love to go and work with groups um i like love working overseas um i uh, i love doing individual skypes and group skypes 
uh, my my academy's taking off. I mean, it, it looks like we're going to be supporting at least thirty college programs in in America uh, with uh, for the mental side of the game, helping players and coaches work together on the mental side of the game. Uh, I already support through that academy clubs in the, in the states and um, high schools over there as well. Um, oh. My podcast is taking off, so just educating people globally uh, around the, the the sports psych. Uh, side of things so you know my my dull and very boring answer to to your question there is probably more of the same um yeah you know um if uh you know i i've i've uh, had the great opportunity to work with brilliant clubs uh at, at the very top level um and i'd still like to do that um but um that's not always you know someone's goal you know it, it's um, it's it's great to work with a Manchester United or a Liverpool or someone like that but at the same time that has its that has its brilliant moments and it also um, is is it's also lovely to work away from those big clubs as well so uh, I think a, a conglomerate of things is what I'm looking to continue to do Brilliant and just um, just finally you know if you had 60 seconds now to kind of leave the listeners with maybe one goal or not that they can take away and apply within their work, whether it be with, on an individual level or collective level with their, with their athletes, what would that be? Take the mental side of the game seriously. To start doing it for 10 minutes a week. Start researching it for 10 minutes a week, 20 minutes a week, you know, a tiny proportion of time and start making sense of it for yourself. It can start with one word on a piece of paper, concentration. There you go. Right, now go and research concentration. How can you help your players pay attention? Stop. Hand-me-downs are great. Experiential evidence is great. But start going out there and start reading 20 minutes a week uh, on attention. How do I help my players pay attention on the pitch? Come up with some ideas. Start putting it into practice. That, to me, is stop not doing this. Start doing it. Hmm. Well, look, Dan, that's... Very interesting insights there from you. And I want to thank you again for your time today. Um, but look, there, there you have it, guys. It's been a fantastic discussion again today. Some brilliant insights, plenty of golden nuggets for everyone to take away and apply there. Um, I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. Um, but a very special thanks again to our guest, Dan Abrahams. Um, thank you again, Dan. No worries, on that, Thank you. On that note, Dan, you know, if you could just like to share where maybe the listeners can get in touch with you. And obviously, you know, you talked there about your, your podcast. Uh, if you just want to let them listen, nobody can find that too. Sure. Well, the podcast is The Sports Psych Show. So you just have to Google The Sports Psych Show. Nice and simple. Um, my um, website is danabrahams.com. Um, my main Twitter account is at danabrahams77. Um, and you can pop on to my uh, website and you can have a look at my academy. Um, it's at the horrendously cheap price of £49 for annual membership. But you've got over 100 uh, videos and counting and uh, exclusive videos and exclusive, over 80 exclusive articles related to those videos. It, I, I humbly believe that it's uh, a really great resource for any coach. Uh, and at sort of £4 a month, I think it's quite affordable. So any coach, any player um really bringing the mental side alive so just pop onto danabrahams.com and you can see the academy on there well there you have it guys you've been listening to another edition of the coaches network how-to series where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests break down some actionable how-to steps for you to reach your full potential 
Now I've got no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have But I just want to say thanks again guys You know your support is massively appreciated So thanks again for everyone that's been tuning in And please do get in touch with us And today's guest to let us know where you're listening from To share your thoughts, your views and your key takeaways from today's show Along with any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on the show And any topics you'd like to hear discussed Ultimately guys the show is about you guys So let us know what you're interested in Who you're interested in listening from So get us and get in touch And on that note Guys, you can get in touch on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. But please do not forget to use the hashtag the Coaches Network. That was the hashtag the Coaches Network. We need as much support we can get to keep this great content coming out to you. Now, lastly, guys, I just want to say keep an eye out for our socials on the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with our panel. Until next time, guys, take care and have a great day. The Coaches Network bringing the game together. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.